and welcome to Just a Slice of Life. So um, welcome to episode one. This is the first official episode where we're going to be discussing the white elephant in the room, which is coronavirus. <laughs> well, um, every, well, the whole entire world is um, experiencing what we're experiencing. And we thought that this would be like a really good uh, starting off point because this is the start of, you know, all human uh, ex- shared human experience because right now literally everybody in the whole entire world is experiencing the same thing yeah basically god just pressed the pause button and was like let's see what happens now <laughs> <laughs> so um first thing okay let's let's just discuss a little bit about um what we were thinking about so everybody's experiencing experiencing it but we all have different um I, I would say start starting yeah. starting of it so this this one would be quite interesting just to like sort of see whether were we also similar in that start in the beginning okay uh, yeah so so maybe maybe let's start let's start with that so what where were you okay where were you that was the first question yeah when <laughs> coronavirus started first appearing in the news i was on my way to australia what month was this was december january january okay january. i have an interesting story too yeah so i was in australia i remember seeing the news reports and there had just been one case in australia as well and um, my dad had also been texting me. If you know me, then you know my dad is a very interesting person in my life. Um, he is a physician, so whenever anything medically is going on, I will get a series of texts and emails alerting me um, and telling me how serious this was. So my dad had started messaging me, just telling me that this is going on and I need to be careful. But I honestly didn't think it was such a big deal at that point in time because no one had really told us what happened. I didn't really see a widespread of coronavirus. It was still sort of, of up in the air at that point. Yeah, in time. it was just yeah. So it for me, it kind of seemed like the Ebola situation, mm-hmm. and I also traveled during the Ebola thing to <laughs> East Africa. Um, I basically take trips during. You know, very bad times to take trips. I've been in Pakistan during the <laughs> Taliban. I it's was pretty much like, don't tell Kajani <laughs> not to go anywhere because she will go there. I was in <laughs> Lebanon during their um, during a bit of the Hezbollah strike. So I somehow end up in places where I shouldn't be. <laughs> so I didn't. I still didn't. Story see, of Kajani's life. <laughs> I still didn't see the. I guess I didn't see the panic around it yet. So for me, I was just kind of taking it like how I took Ebola and SARS and, and was just kind of careful around my own personal hygiene, but I, I wasn't getting panicky. Yeah, okay. You know? Fair enough. Yeah. And no one around me was getting panicky ever, anyway. So. Yeah, so everybody was still in the chilling state anyway. Yeah. 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 So what about you, Freddie? What was your experience? Oh, okay. So my experience, my first experience with coronavirus was actually like two weeks before my planned trip to China. <laughs> so I was literally in China when all this thing was just about to blow up. <laughs> See, it's not just me in places where you shouldn't be, okay? It's also the story of Birdie's life. <laughs> so, um, okay, so the story of that was that basically a bunch of friends and I were supposed to go to Xi'an, uh, China, um, and we've planned this for months. Uh, reason we wanted to go there was for the Terracotta Warriors and like just generally just to have you know it's one of those New Year's trips the year just started let's start 2020 right start with a trip so um, 
one of our friends uh, that was supposed to go on the trip actually highlighted because she shared that BBC article, that BBC news article that came out and uh, how they were saying that there were people um, beginning to die in Wuhan. So she shared that article with us and she was like, guys, are you sure you want to still go to Xi'an? And like the rest of us, they were like, uh, so the, all together there were five of us. So one person was like, should we? And like the four of us was like, yeah, man, we're still going. Like, what the fuck? We're like, we planned so, like, we, we planned everything. We, we've, we've got everything booked. We're like super excited already. And this is just two weeks before the trip. Like, some of us already had our bags packed. So we were like, no, man, like, let's just go. Besides, Wuhan is like, how many hours out of Xi'an? We'll be fine. We'll be fine. And so we went. We went with no masks, walking around. <laughs> but at that point in time, I think it, it, it hadn't um, exploded yet. So people in Xi'an were also pretty chill about it. Um, I was I was still looking at um, news articles, but at that point in time, it wasn't as often as we are seeing it now. So it wasn't that big of a panic. We still went to Zian. We came back safe. But the funny thing was, the funny thing was, by the time we reached uh, the airport back in Malaysia uh, at the end of our trip, then we realized like, holy shit, this is actually a lot bigger than we imagined. And we were like, what the hell were we thinking? Still going? But we we're like, you know, that's what Yolo is for, right? So yeah, that was my experience. <laughs> So, um, I think the other interesting thing was, at, by the end of January, it was kind of a little bit crazy on this side of the world, in, in I would say, Southeast Asia. So, on the U.S. side, because I had already had two trips planned, one was in March to be a bridesmaid for yeah. one of my best friend's wedding, and also, my parents were coming here, and I was going to go back to the States um, for several things yeah so we had a lot of planned trips so like i also had a planned trip to new zealand in april and and at that point in time even though we knew everything was happening we were still pushing for it to happen yeah exactly and i also had a 30th birthday so i was like okay gung-ho everything you know i had all my plans set and i remember talking to everyone from the u.s and they were still like okay everything was still going on like normal because Mm -hmm. they didn't have that experience or that pandemic rise on that side of the world so I was freaking out and I, you know, kept telling the bride, like, I don't know. And then I kept telling my friend who was turning 30, like, I don't know if I can make it. And I felt really bad, but I just, I didn't understand the extremity of the situation. Yeah, but true. then, you know, by March, it was like, nah. <laughs> so by March is when we got to see how countries were responding. Yeah. So so what happened in Malaysia was that we had that huge entire public uh, event, which which was 15,000 of people which were or potentially COVID positive, right? So that was the, the thing that catalyzed whatever would happen in Malaysia with our amount of cases. That was the first event. So, um, so because of that, when that came back, everybody was already sort of panicky. I remember we were still, I mean, we were still at work, but people were already starting to panic in the sense that, oh my God, like they were already kind of discriminating people because when they look at people and like, you look like you could be part of that public event, you know, I'm going to like uh, keep my distance. So when that happened and when this thing just blew out of proportion, I would say that, you know, governments weren't ready. And not to mention, the Malaysian government was too busy planning a coup to think about what's happening with the, with the coronavirus. So I think that in itself showed um, a huge inefficiency uh, of the Malaysian government. But not, not just that, I think the whole entire, uh, the whole entire world, I, I would say, were, wasn't prepared for this level of um, spread. Yeah. yeah, you can ask Bill Gates, he has a lot to say on that. <laughs> but I mean, I think... Honestly, when when I look at the U.S. government, because I am American, 
when you look at the U.S. government, and and I have seen my <laughs> president, who I want to refuse to call my president, <laughs> but when I see Trump and how he responds, it's quite difficult. It's quite difficult because, from my perspective, as a federal government, you should be mandating exactly how the country should run. It shouldn't be up to each state. Additionally, yes, money is something that everybody needs, but is it that the welfare of people outweigh money? Or the other way around. Or the other way around, right? Yeah. And that's one thing. Another thing is, you know, you had Trump saying one thing, the Surgeon General saying something completely different. Everyone's getting misinformation along with social media where there is a blast of things happening. I think I got so many random homemade <laughs> recipes on how to prevent coronavirus on WhatsApp in like 10 minutes. So I think it, it's just, it showed you how My personal one, favorite was the Corona beer one. Yeah, <laughs> but I think the issue becomes you, you that's when you see um, the highlight of social media and it's play on disinformation yeah and then misinformation misinformation not yeah. disinformation see I'm telling you English is hard for me um, but yeah and then you see Trump like talking about how he thinks that people should inject bleach like it's just crazy so you have that on one end um, you have Boris Johnson on the other who's also trying to be like oh poor people you know if you need to go to work to get money, like just do it. Do it for the rest of us. And if you die, well, thanks for helping somehow. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's that was one response. And then you look at the countries who's um, led by women, and you look at their responses. They responded out of empathy. Yeah. And I'm sure Ferdy, I know, has a lot to say on this. So yeah. I'll no, I mean, okay. Over. So like, I'm, I I just wanted to highlight like one point. I think like the whole issue of how countries thought this wasn't as serious like a lot of times they were just like no this isn't serious it's just a flu blah, blah, blah. we'll get through it because yeah. we got through ebola we got through mers SARS. we got through sars and like you know um a coronavirus was the, the the biggest thing that people kept seeing was that coronavirus has a lower percentage of uh, i mean uh, death death yes, rate. the yes. fatality rate was a lot lower than like sars so that's why people were saying why are we panicking we don't have to panic but what they forgot to mention is that absolute number wise yeah it was two percent in china right but absolute number the absolute number of deaths already superseded or already passed sars mers combined you get what I mean? So like for, and it, I, I felt like that was one side of the story because like for China, they have so much efficiency in doing this simply because they're a communist country and that their citizens listen to what their government is saying uh, and how they force people to stay indoors just to curb the spread. Right. Like, you know, you've, you've seen videos about how the China government was welding people's doors to keep them inside, right? And, and because of that, despite all that efforts, we, they still had a 2% death rate. So, I mean, if that in itself doesn't tell you this is serious enough, I don't know what will. So I think because of that 2%, I think all the other countries sort of got a little bit blindsided by it and they thought it wasn't as as, uh, as serious. But yeah. then when it came over to their countries and when we look at uh, countries like Italy, when you look at countries like Spain, and their death rate goes up all the way to like 20%, and then, then you know, it's it's not it's no longer a non non serious issue or a non issue, yeah. right? I mean, Trump called it China virus for so long and was acting like it didn't exist. Now you have over a million cases in the U.S. You have the highest death toll rate, I think, in the U.S. I mean, it's insane. You, it it also shed light on the inefficiencies 
inefficiencies. What the hell is wrong with my English? But it showed the inefficiencies that exist within certain systems. For the U.S., definitely the healthcare system. We don't have universal healthcare. You have to have, you know, health insurance to even be aided with certain things. And now you have a huge part of the population that doesn't have access to that. Mm-hmm. So you can't get tested. You can't. Yeah. You can't heal. Yeah. I mean, it's killing. Yeah. It's so killing. I have a point on that as well. So like. Uh, what happened was that I, I remember reading this article as well about how they were saying what is South Korea doing differently that they're able to flatten their curve so much faster than the rest of the world. And uh, we have to remember that South Korea at the beginning of, of this coronavirus was like the second country to South the Korea, second highest. South Korea and US both got their first at the same um, time, patients. Oh damn! At the same, okay, so that's even that's an even bigger, um, um, you know, it's even contrasting because you see South Korea and where they are now, and you see US. They started at the same time, dude. Like, what has US been doing? And Nothing. What has, <laughs> and what has Korea been doing? So I so I was reading this um, article about uh, things that we can learn from South Korea, and they did uh, this interview with uh, you know the people um, from the infectious disease department uh, and the health ministry and things like that. And what's interesting is that the reason that they were so prepared, what they did, the secret ingredient to they are flattening the curve so fast is the fact that they made testing accessible. They all they made that COVID testing package in like a week or some insane time frame like that, and everybody it was free for everybody because they just wanted everybody to get tested. So what that shows is that they're doing this so that they know where where they stand as a country, as opposed to like a lot of other countries who are doing who are under testing. Some of the countries are not even testing and like reporting zero cases because you're not testing. You can't but, see zero cases. Yeah. You know and I mean? I mean, some people can't even afford to get the tests. I mean, you think... Exactly, exactly. This is where it gets interesting, right? Because you think about the world as a whole and you think about countries like Nepal and yeah, Bhutan. India. Like, the people in India who are literally... Like, don't understand. Slums. Especially in the slums. They don't understand what's happening. And, yeah. like, for them, it's, it's insane. Like, you see this... You see... You see how much... But one of the first vaccine drugs was developed in India because we brown people, so we love to become physicians. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you, you take note of all these different countries, all these smaller yeah. countries, and you have to think about the fact that a lot of their money is, is their money that, that revenue that they get as an economy is through tourism. Yeah. So like, how will they have access to these yeah. tests? You don't know. Yeah. So, so I, I mean, accessibility of tests is one thing. I think that I think the other thing that Korea did right was that uh, they immediately channeled or uh, channeled all their resources from the government into health immediately when this thing started. So it's like it's not it's not it's not even a matter of like making back your money after you've created these tests. It's like no, we're just making these tests and sending it out to people so that they can get tested, making it as easy as possible for people to to get themselves tested. That's number one. And then second thing, after they figured out how many people are um, you know actually infected then they went through a very rigorous process of containing it and the reason that they had this very organized structure was because they already experienced it with MERS so South Korea I know a lot of people don't know this but South Korea had one of the worst cases of MERS simply because they there were a couple of businessmen who were in the Middle East that returned back to South Korea so South Korea even though it's like nowhere near the Middle East but they had a huge epidemic of MERS and because of that that was their learning and they brought that learning into handling the coronavirus versus other countries who had who never had a previous experience of it yeah and the scary part was I remember in one country in Africa I cannot remember which one (laughs) they had just had their last 
patient who had um, Ebola. Ebola. Oh, dang. They had okay. just completed it, and now you have another pandemic coming. So that was the scary part. Um, but yeah, so let's get into how we felt when yeah. they started the lockdown. Yeah, so basically, so, so, it, so the flow is we've seen the inefficiencies of governments, but then governments were then trying. So yeah. I think I would have to applaud all these governments as well, especially in Malaysia. You, you, even though they weren't uh, at the top of the game when it started, but after a while they, they took you know, initiative, took responsibility. I think the DG of Malaysia was doing an amazing job uh, you know, trying to keep the, the public in the know and things like that. So, so what happened was that, um, of course, the lockdown started. So um, that's also what uh, that's also when it started. It started in Malaysia on the 18th of March. But I think most of us were already kind of staying inside by then. But by then, yeah, yeah. So let's get into how you felt about that. I mean, I'll tell you, I am an extrovert. If you cannot already tell. <laughs> so <laughs> when the lockdown started, I mean, it was cool for like the first two weeks because they were like, oh, there's gonna be lockdown for two weeks. I was oh like, really? You were cool the first two weeks? I, I was, was a mess the first I two was, weeks. <laughs> I was like cool in the sense of in my head, like okay, but I didn't get the. I think by the second day and the third day when I started to realize that my entire world is now contained between <laughs> four walls. I don't, I'm not in like some three floored yeah. house. I don't have the acres of land that all these celebrities have. I don't have a private pool, none of that. So now all the amenities that I loved having in my apartment, which is, you know, the pool and the gym and stuff. You could no longer use. You could no longer use. I couldn't really step outside. There was nowhere to go. It was eerie as hell. Everyone was, there were so many stats coming day after day of like, everything stays in the air and then it stays on your clothes and then da 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 da. And then you could have, you could have symptoms, but not even know that you have symptoms and all of this stuff. And then of course, like my dad is messaging me and emailing me about the proper way to wash your hands. He was calling me constantly. He even asked me to take a picture of face masks. He was like, do you have a face mask? I need you to make sure it's the right is face mask. Is it the proper one? Take a picture and send it to me. If I didn't send it to him in two minutes, which I didn't because I didn't really have a face mask at that point this was before like lockdown became like a real lockdown so then he was like where is your mask and then i finally found one and like gave, but like serious so when that started to come down and i started to realize like this three you know roomed apartment <laughs> is gonna be my world yeah my world for two weeks is when i started getting a little crazy i mean yeah. i think i relate to that i relate to that <laughs> Yeah, I just, I mean, as an extrovert, you want to go and see people. I thrive off of getting energy off of people. So I was like, oh, my God, what the fuck? So now it was like, okay, how are we going to make this entertaining? I remember so, this, though. So, like, Kajani was, like, messaging me, like, every other day, like, I miss you. Yeah. <laughs> I think I messaged, like, so, yeah. yeah. So many people got my I miss you messages. But, yeah, I mean, then, luckily, I am quarantined with a roommate. And my roommate... Um, and I, you know, we planned like different dinners. I would definitely say, you know, there was some other liquid libations that gave us support <laughs> during this time. But yeah, so we had, you know, I had people around me. We were able to kind of cook. So that felt nice because I haven't cooked in forever. We started taking little Polaroids. That was our little fun that we had, you know, and then you had your Zoom calls. And it was like, okay, let me try and be more proactive. Let me get into doing things. Um, so yeah, that was that was that, that was, was me. Freedom. But it was a real rough start, real yeah. rough start. And then they kept extending. Oh, I was dying in my heart. <laughs> 
So I think that that would be a similar thing to me. It's just that like I think when it started, I immediately already felt the claustrophobia. Claustrophobia. So it's like for me, it's like okay, uh, the government actually announced it, and I think like for a lot of uh, businesses and for a lot of bosses at that point in time, they were they were a bit shocked that Malaysia took such a hard stance. Um, I thought it was good because I thought we needed to keep people indoors. But the thing is, what I wasn't prepared for was how I would feel about it. <laughs> so like for me, um, okay, I think my my housemate would know this as well is that I am not the kind of person to stay home like ever yeah. like even before this whole entire lockdown so i think my housemate only just like like we just see each other in like the intersecting times because like i would leave earlier uh, earlier than her and by the time i come back it, you know she's usually asleep so it's like we've never really see each other and i'm never really home um and then when this lockdown started it's like bam you're forced to stay home like 24 7 and um i was struggling with that i was honestly struggling with that because i felt like oh my god every little thing it was an excuse to go out and I just wanted to go out and like um, and at that point in time before they made it very serious with the whole roadblocks and the whole uh, you know army helping out and all that I still snuck out I mean people people were like kind of uh, you know nagging me not to but the thing is I, I felt like I needed to because I, I think freedom is a big thing for me as well and at that point in time it really challenged me to think about what freedom meant um, and whether or not freedom versus like well-being uh, versus safety reprioritizing that so that was a whole exercise for me but uh, I think for those of you who know me in real life as well you would be familiar with my set of Facebook uh, you know lockdown observations <laughs> so that ranged from literally going mad like all the way till I think right now um, it's a it's a it's a good stage of acceptance I think at this point in yeah, time yeah. so I think one of my friends also told me um, it's interesting watching your progress of your Facebook updates because it actually literally shows like the steps of of grief you know and it's like and you know you see the whole denial and you see the whole complaining part in the beginning and then after a while it's like when they started extending and people weren't surprised anymore nobody was surprised when the extension happened right and yeah. then that, that the latest extension the latest, latest extension. Yeah. and then when that happened it's like when you're no longer surprised you kind of also realize that you're already moving into the acceptance stage and I think yeah. once you move into the acceptance stage like for me at least personally uh, I realized that uh, it's you find freedom even though you're locked in does that make sense yeah but i think yeah. also they've loosened it a bit now a bit, so yeah a bit now <laughs> hence why we're standing no, but, and sitting next but to that's each the other. funny thing you know because they've loosened it but, up, not but i don't want i yeah, don't, don't feel, feel like, like going, going out, out. Yeah, yeah i don't feel yeah. like going out and that's that's a, a huge entire shift for me i mean as an it's extrovert true. as well true. like uh this whole entire uh, experience and uh evolution one of my friends said i think you're probably growing up you know i think with this whole evolution of feelings and emotions is something that was really interesting for me to uh sort of uh, you know experience and look at yeah observe. i think the other thing for me is being away from home visiting and flying to the states was always an option yeah. so now having that being completely taken away that was another thing i had to work through because it was that scary moment of what happens if something happens to somebody on that side of the world yeah. I have no way of getting there yeah. and that was something I that needed was your to work worry. through yeah I remember you were very worried about your family because because I mean of the state of things in the US, US. and yeah. then also my parents and a lot of my cousins are all on the front line so that was scary um, you know knowing that I also have my um, really old nani who's living there as well in the state so it's just it's panicky um, 
But yeah, so I think the next thing was, I think in the beginning, how I tried to cope with Ferdy and, and how we were trying to cope with each other. With each other, yeah. Was we started telling each other things. So for me, it was starting to look at Mother Nature and realize that Mother Nature was finally replenishing itself. It was, you know, animals were getting to have their freedom. They were getting to explore. You saw, you know, dolphins in the Venice Canal. Yeah. You saw... Apparently that was fake news, though. Yeah. <laughs> But apparently, apparently the dolphins came out somewhere else in the world, so I don't remember where. So you're still so semi-correct. Yeah. <laughs> and then there were penguins that were being getting to explore, like, their little aquariums, which I thought was oh, adorable. Oh, that was so cute. And then I there was, love like, that video. found in, like, yeah. um, different bushes, like, different gardens. Mm. Like, so it just felt like you could see that carbon emissions were going down. Everything that we needed to be doing for climate change was now starting to do it on its own. Mm. You saw that Mother Nature was, like coming back so that was something that was more reassuring that I yeah. kind of kept telling myself yeah so like I think for uh, for Kajani and I it was pretty um, it was pretty hard because we used we would see each other like almost every week right yeah. and when this lockdown happened we didn't see each other so what happened was that we kind of moved to WhatsApp and we kind of like shared like little snippets of what were what we're thinking what revelation we had today and that sort of continued our conversations yes. um, and our observations and our you know awareness yeah. and mindfulness of whatever's happening around us I think even just both of us also committing to meditating like just trying to see and share whatever yeah. we could we were trying we were, and we were we were being we were being very like accountable with each other like okay what are you doing today like there's no time to freaking like you know yeah. do what you whatever you need to do today you need to do it and I and I felt like having that accountability partner especially in times of extreme isolation is something that's really important and we had that with each other so yeah. even and and we were beginning to see it across the world as well because when you see people who were locked down but they were beginning to like you know have conversations with their neighbors um, meet their neighbors who they've never really met um, and that was very interesting because we sort of saw this whole collective uh, support of each other yeah. of like the human race and and that was very heartwarming i felt yes yeah. and i think the beginning when you started there was always some reason to be proactive so you could take your mind off not being able to to go outside or like the discomfort like i felt yeah. so uncomfortable yeah. the first two then weeks. it was just like trying to get stuff done trying to try new hobbies that i hadn't yeah. done in so long yeah. like, okay there's a pause in life i've always been asking for life to just take a pause, let me catch up and then let's play again and now it's here the pause is yeah. here yeah so now it's like oh, oh god okay and then, I mean, I think slowly coming to the stage where we've kind of accepted, right? Where we've come to mm. um, this I, this acceptance of what's going on in the world, of yeah. where we are, and just letting ourselves kind of work within ourselves, understanding what it is that we want to work on. Now it's like you don't necessarily need to be proactive. You don't need to learn a new language. You don't need to learn how to code. Yeah. You don't need to learn to read like 50 yeah. books. It's sort of like taking a step back because I felt like in the beginning because people felt like they were being unproductive because they were locked in. And yeah. because of that, it yeah. kind of spiked the whole like extreme productivity. Everybody was freaking rushing to do everything, right? Yeah. And because of that, it's like uh, people still... People still they, they were still in sort of a rat race even though yeah. they weren't out there yeah. but right now with this acceptance and everybody like slowing down and taking pace like you know I can share with you my latest Facebook um, status lockdown status was right after the PM announced the extension to like 9th June and my status four weeks four weeks four weeks extension which was previously was just only two weeks right and um, my status was actually like I, I said like I, I can't believe I'm saying this but I'm actually really glad that it got extended um, and I to be able to say that you know that you're already at that point of acceptance and when you're already there that's when the real work can happen exactly um so yeah so that's our 
little take on, on what's well it's I, I feel like we have a lot more to discuss but time is not permitting <laughs> us <laughs> but yeah so tune in for the next episode where we'll be going over some coronavirus conspiracy, conspiracy theories. theories jing 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 so peace out have fun have a great day have Thanks an amazing day guys peace out see you over the next episode bye bye, bye.